And I'm going to get into a conversation I'm excited to have uh, with a lot to cover. In his second year serving as police chief for the city of Edmonton, he has dealt with a lot this year, in a year that many of us would like to forget. Um, but from a law enforcement perspective, there was guns and gang violence, officers dealing with COVID, uh, new drunk driving laws, defunding the police, and a lot more. So we're going to get into all of that now with Edmonton's police chief, Dale McPhee, joining me now. Chief McPhee, thanks so much for joining the show. No, oh, thank you, Chelsea, and good morning. There's been a, a lot to deal with, as I just outlined this year. I can only imagine from your perspective, so it's a little tough to know where to begin. Um, so let's just start, I guess, with COVID. Um, how have officers' strategies in dealing with it changed um, from the beginning of the year to now, Chief? Well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it's impacting us as well. I mean, uh, you know, we've got obviously lots of contact with the public. So, I mean, we've uh, obviously are all masking even indoors now in relation to that. So I think we got about 28 active people off with COVID and we got 129 or 140. That fluctuates. We've been way higher than that as well. So uh, that continues to fluctuate. As far as dealing with the public, you know, I think uh, the consistent message working with public health uh, is, you know, we basically try to educate to compliance. Uh, and if that doesn't, uh, uh, I think then obviously our next step is uh, the ability to issue a ticket. Uh, I think we worked with the Crown to make sure these tickets are taken serious, uh, more so as it's went on. And then you've got a lot of the things that, you know, you've got people uh, in businesses per se. And as we said, I think we had like 39 instances that it turned violent because somebody's protesting over, uh, you know, where a mask and I mean uh, and people have got hurt and, and that's ridiculous like honestly um, so I mean we do have the tools in the toolbox there's been mischief charges there's been assault charges there's been aggravated assault charges but you know we're in the middle of a pandemic and to impose uh, individuals impose their own personal beliefs or views on others uh, to create harm for them is just unacceptable but if called we're going to deal with it. And EPS has been pretty vocal about saying that they're ready to, you know, enforce the current restrictions that are in place. Um, curious to know how those enforcements are going to take place to um, enforce the ban on gatherings. Well, you know, again, uh, when you say enforce, I think always from our perspective, educate to compliance. But at the same time, you know, this is serious. And I, and I think the, the, the piece that, you know, sometimes it's often forgot, it's it's not about uh, what it does to individuals. I mean, I'll give you a personal experience. Uh, my mom's in a, you know, in a care home and I haven't been able to see her for about seven weeks now. And, you know, it makes me think and, and reflect. It's not about me. It's, it's, it's about others around me. So. Uh, for for us right now, I think it's just to get people thinking that, you know, uh, there's more to the center of the universe than themselves, uh, you know, and uh, sometimes that's hard. But at the same time is if we have to, absolutely, we're going to take it. I mean, if it's a large gathering, a protest, an event, uh, you know, uh, we'll choose the right time to do that. Um, you know, nobody's going to put uh, more people at risk or put their safety in jeopardy. But, uh, you know, I, I think the message has been very clear from Dr. Hinshaw. Uh, you know, we need to stop and think. And I, I think if we stop and think and realize um, the best way to get out of this is if we can, uh, you know, limit our actions and uh, and limit our uh, some of the things that we're doing right now for a shorter period of time, then hopefully it, it, it shortens uh, the 
recovery time because I think we're all tired. Everybody's fatigued, and uh, and when everybody's fatigued, sometimes we don't make our best decisions. So, um, you know, we'll do what we have to do, of course. Is it something that we want to do? Absolutely not. Yeah, I think you, you really nailed it there, the reminder that it's really considering other people before yourself, and I think that's something that we all really need to kind of hold on to and, and not forget in the midst of our collective COVID fatigue. Um, moving on from COVID, so, social justice um, really ran parallel to the pandemic, um, namely the Black Lives Matter. We saw protests here in our city uh, calling for the defunding of the police. So from your perspective, Chief, was the call to examine police behavior and reallocate funds the the right move? How, what did you make of that? Well, I mean, uh, let's start before that. We were, I mean, part of the reason I was hired is to look at some of the change and how police and how we operate in this social space. So we were well on, uh, on our way to a lot of changes through Vision 2020. I mean, it was a perfect storm. I mean, if you think about it, downturn of the economy, COVID, George Floyd, and, you know, just everything kept uh, compounding. Um, as far as defunding the police or defunding any other entity, that's never worked. I mean, I, I, I've spent a lot of time over the last 10 or 12 years of my career uh, working on some of these issues, you know, basically across the world, and it's never worked. And, and, and there's reasons it never worked, because if you're going to defund, I think, first and foremost, what you really need to have a conversation about is how much money is in the entire social safety net system, and is that money getting outcomes, and is it aligned, and does it have governance in place, and does it have some independent uh, ability to look at what the outcomes are for people? And that changes the conversation. So when we, uh, you know, were working or, or we sat through the council hearing and we had discussions and certainly we had frustrations of people and I'd be the first to tell you that, yeah, we have things to change and, and we're working on that. But at the same time, we want to make sure that we're making the right decisions uh, for the citizens of Edmonton, especially when you have two parallel streams uh, and you mentioned it earlier, you have the violence and then you have your social issues. Now, knowing just how much money is in that system and, uh, you know, having a, a pretty good understanding what's in the system in Edmonton, I think there's more than enough money in the system. I think what we're really missing is the alignment, the direction, and thinking that how we're going to focus on a recovery-orientated system to get people that are struggling in a better place. And, and we need to play a role in that. So back to the budget, when we gave up $11 you know, million, I mean, uh, of growth, that was for a couple of reasons. I was in the middle of COVID-19, and, and there's a lot of people struggling out there. And, and I, I think we're, we realize that too, and uh, we need to do our part. You know, the hope was, though, that that $11 million would bring other agencies to the table with some of their resources and some of their funding to say, let's do some things differently. Let's just not double down on more of the same. It's not working, and I think COVID's exposed that. So spinning all that, I think we're in the best opportunity we've probably ever been to lead some change, but it's going to take all of us uh, to lead and uh, and to make some difficult decisions. And uh, certainly for a police service, we're willing to participate and we're willing to lead. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah, lead is, I think, a good word. That's that's where we need to how we need to think about it as we all try and move forward to the place that we want to be. And you mentioned you touched on violence just a little bit there. And, and I want to ask you about the, the guns and the gang violence. Um, there was a string of shootings related to gangs that we saw in the fall. Was this something that suddenly cropped up? Is this something that exists all the time? What's the gang atmosphere like in the city? Well, the violence in the city of Edmonton has been way too high for too long. We had we had a little bit some gains. We were making momentum last year. Uh, we had uh, some positive. Uh 
trending in this area, but I think with COVID and, and there's a couple things. I mean, first thing, you know, we had 35 homicides this year and, and that's too many, but when you actually break them down, the ones that we already have uh, information on, 17 of them uh, were involving drugs, uh, seven of those were involving gangs, three of those domestic violence, and I mean, the other eight, still too early to tell, and of course, we all know drugs and gangs, the interplay of those uh, are hard to differentiate, <laughs> but we had a couple things. I think it was on when I was on with Jaylen earlier in the year, and she asked me about you know the guns. And if you remember when COVID hit, uh, everybody was buying every gun off every shelf, and there was two phenomena that were kind of taking place uh, during that time. Um, the phenomena were you know nobody knew what COVID was going to bring. Everybody thought they were going to have to protect the property. Some were buying firearms, and then the federal government actually moved from uh, restricted weapons to prohibited. And at the time, I think there's a lot of individuals. Uh, based on what we heard, expected a buyback program. That never did materialize, but all those guns were bought up, and now those guns are actually on the streets. And so you're seeing trends, and our trend isn't much different than a lot of other areas across North America. Uh, the, the violence because of some of the es escalation and the heightened sensitivities uh, that are going on right now, plus some of the frustration and I mean, we're seeing it play out in, in some of our homes and domestic violence as well. It's the perfect storm. Now, that said, you know, we've taken a lot of guns off our street recently, and we've got several strong teams. We've built a, a, a firearms testing or purchased a firearms testing facility to make sure that we can prosecute quicker. And there's more things to come because that stuff's unacceptable. And, you know, uh, you've seen a lot of arrests lately, and I can assure you uh, there's going to be a lot more coming fairly soon as well. Not something that's tolerated in the city of Edmonton, never should have been, or not that it was, but certainly now more than ever, uh, it's to put that balance in. And those are the people that I've always said, uh, you know, it's not the vulnerable people so much that need to be in jail, but these individuals, there's a place for them. And, and we certainly uh, intend to hold them accountable and uh, and you'll see more of that coming in the in the future days and weeks chief one last question and we're running out of time so just quickly um we've seen toronto and vancouver move to decriminalize small amounts of drugs for personal use um in a bid to to change the strategy of the war on drugs where does edmonton stand on this are we going to make a similar what? move well, you know, first and foremost, uh, that should be the, the state that we all uh, try to get to. And I mean, again, as I mentioned, traveling across the world, and if you look at the Portugal model, that right now is a dangerous situation, just thinking that's going to change things, though. Because first and foremost, before you work on decriminalized simple possession, because let's face it, Crown doesn't lay those charges now, or nor do we. So that's not really changing the entity uh, much right now. But before we actually want to do that as a, as, a, as a bigger move, we need the system in relation to the treatment, the supports, the prevention and inter intervention, and the continuum of services in place. That's why Portugal was successful. If we don't have those things in place, we actually could compound the problem. So AACP made a statement on this. Edmonton, obviously, and me being president of AAC are part of that. We think that's where we absolutely we need to get to. But just to jump from A to Z in one step, I mean, it's like everything else. We throw a fentanyl strategy out there and we throw money at a commodity. We throw a marijuana strategy and legalize it. We throw money at a commodity. In the middle, meth's driving a lot of the violence, uh, you know, and there will be another drug. It's the individuals that we need to focus on, not the commodity, because most of those individuals in some of those states use all of those drugs. So 
So if we can actually focus on, you know, the continuum uh, recovery-oriented system, which has intervention, prevention, treatment, which are medical attention and recovery, we get a lot more success a lot quicker. So our position is focus on putting those things in place before we jump to that next move. Okay. Chief McPhee, 15 minutes goes fast with you. Thank you so much for making the time. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Chelsea. You answering all the questions. And um, have a great Christmas. Stay safe. Yeah. You too, uh, Chelsea. And really appreciate uh, your work of yourself and your colleagues at 630 Chet and, uh, and all the best. And stay safe, hey? We appreciate the work that you and your team do. Yeah. Take care. We'll talk again soon. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.